Hello, my little cherubs, my little cream sodas. What's up? I am back. Um, Thank you for your patience with me as I figure out the schedule for this podcast. Um, I like had been sick and I thought it was coronavirus and then it wasn't. So um, I was still feeling the effects of it for like the past couple weeks. So I haven't really recorded or done anything other than lie on my couch. Um, And I did go back to work this week, which sucked. But um, yeah, it's been a rough time. So thank you for sticking around and listening still. I appreciate that. Um, Yeah, so welcome to this episode of the Fig Widow Podcast. It's me, Danny Janae, your host, your guide into the world of poetry and poetics and the world of creative writing, I guess I could say. Um, What's been up with me? I guess like a lot. One really big thing that happened was that I went to um, a wedding, um, like a little backyard wedding for one of my best friends in the whole entire world. His name is Kale. Um, And I went to Kale's wedding to Lori. Um, Kale is like, one of the most gifted writers I've ever met in my life and also someone who's been so integral into shaping my voice as a poet. Um, So I got to see him get married and I cried a lot. Got to see also um, my friend Deal, who is a part of this silly little collective we came up with called the Poet Data Team. Uh, Data Team, like data entry. Um, And I got to talk to both of them about our creative processes and like getting back together, getting the band back together. And that was really awesome. So uh, that wedding was beautiful. It made me think a lot about love and love poems because there's a poem read at the ceremony. Um, And it made me want to like write some love poems. So probably going to venture into that even though I'm not in a relationship. So we'll see how that goes. Um, Yes, that's one big thing that happened. Um, Let's see what else. I recently purchased four new books of poetry. Um, first one was uh, Ghost Of by Diana Coy Nugent, who I'll be reading some poems from today. Um, I also got uh, Tea House of the Almighty by Patricia Smith. I got Honeyfish, Honeyfish by Lauren Allen, I want to say. I'm not sure how to pronounce the last name. It's A-L-L-E-Y-N-E. And then this book that I was so excited to get, um, I listened to this podcast called Verses with Danette Smith and Franny Choi. And this uh, poet was on the most recent episode. Um, His name is Michael Lee and his collection is called uh, The Only Worlds We Know. I'll be reading some poems from that as well. Um, And it's just like, I was so excited to get that book because I, um, I myself am writing about sobriety and like addiction. Um, and I like heard him start reading this poem on the podcast and it was about sobriety and addiction. And I was like, whoa, I haven't like found many poets to write about that. So I wanted to get my hands on this book really badly. And I did. Um, shout out to bookshop.org because they got me my order very quickly. Um, so thank you to y'all and for having um, and for being a decent alternative to uh, Amazon, um, you know, I got 
one of my books, one set of books in like three days. So that's like, um, it wasn't free shipping, but it was still like a very fast turnaround. And I appreciate that a lot. Oops, my phone's going off. Um, always put your phone on vibrate, kids. Um, yeah, so I'm going to be reading some poems from that collection as well. I'm really excited to read them to you. Um, what else has been going on? Um, I guess I should launch into what I've been uh, consuming media-wise. So I've been trying to lay off TV and like Twitter and Instagram and lean more into these poetry books that I've been reading. So I have those, all four of those books. Um, I finished Diana Coy Nugent's book and I finished The Only World We Know. So that's why I'm reading from those two today. So I have two more left to go through. Um, a friend of mine brought me Tipping the Velvet when I got sick. Um, so I'm gonna get started on that this week just cause it's like such a lesbian classic and one that you must read. So I need to get on that and start reading that. Um, I've been listening to a ton of music, which I'll talk about more in um, Untoppable Bops. I feel like I forgot to do that last week. So I'll have two this week. Um, but yeah, I've been listening to a lot of music. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. Um, mostly poetry podcasts. I've been listening to verses a lot. I've been listening to um, this, po this, uh, this podcast called This Is Just To Say. I forget what the host's name is. Um, but it's a fabulous podcast. I really like it. Um, it's just like conversations with poets about um, their work and what they do. Um, let me see if I can find out this host name. Yeah, I. Um, the host name is Carrie Fountain. Um, yeah, so I've been doing that. I listen to that podcast. I'm very... Uh, I'm naturally obsessed with a poet, Natalie Diaz. Um, so I just like searched her on Spotify and listened to like every podcast episode that she's been on. Um, I love the way she says poem. She says a like poem with like softer and sweeter in the way that I can't because my voice is not soft or sweet. Um, yeah, I just am such a fan of her work and of the way that she thinks and the way that she talks about poetry and about language specifically. Um, so yeah, I did that. Um, I didn't tell you guys, I uh, participated in this, um, actually, hold on one second. I wanna do this on mic cause I love the sound of it. Yeah, okay. I just love a crisp can pop like that. It just sounds so good. Um, but yes, I have this mentor in poetry who is a poet that I adore and respect a lot. Um, and she graciously signed me up to take these uh, craft talks with poet Ellen Bass, who I've read some her poetry to y'all before. Um, and these were, were like craft talks, there were six of them. So I got signed up a little late. So I only got to like be physically there for the last three. And the first three I had to watch um, uh, after the fact. Um, but yeah, it was an incredible experience. Just like listening to Ellen talk about her work, but also the work of other poets and like talking about craft and syntax and metaphor. Um, 
and all these other things about like how to write a long poem and make it stick, you know. One of the quotes that I think about a lot is like, the more you stay on a topic, the more, the harder it is to like maintain your reader's interest. Um, and I have written a whole book about the same topic. So um, finding out how to maintain interest in that topic throughout these poems has been um, a challenge for me, but I'm working on it. Uh, so listening to that workshop with her and being there for that craft talk was like amazing. Um, one thing that she said that really stuck with me is that poetry is not efficient. Um, and I really want it to be, you know, I want it to be this very linear, efficient, like textbook um, sort of pathway, um, but it isn't. And, you know, I have to practice patience in my own uh, writing practice, um, especially now that I have this manuscript that I'm like, having reviewed by a poet that I really respect and that it's going to be um, probably start being sent out in the fall. Um, so that's like really awesome. Um, but yeah, these craft talks were just incredible. Um, I felt like I was back in school, but like in a way that's not um, stifling that I can find um, education to be. Um, it's just like, um, it's just the workshops, basically. Um, not Workshop is not the right word because we didn't actually workshop anything. So just these craft talks. So just listening to somebody who is like an expert in the field talk about how they succeed in their work and um, how other poets have succeeded in their work. And that was just a delightful experience. And I'm really grateful that I got to do that. So I wanted to share that with you. Um, yeah, I'm going to take a little bitty break and then be back and read y'all some poems. Okay, I'm back. I'm gonna start reading from Diana Coy Nugent's collection, Ghost Of, which is uh, an absolutely devastating collection of poetry in the best way. Um, I also found out about this poet on Verses. Um, and she talks about this book, um, which was written after the death of her brother who committed suicide. Um, and the book centers around this action of like, before her brother killed himself, he cut himself out of all the family pictures. Um, and that's just like such a stark and incredibly dark image and like very telling of someone's emotional state to have done something like that. Um, and, you know, in the book of poems, there are actual pictures of these pictures. Um, and she plays a lot with form um, and has, you know, poems in the shape of these cutouts um, and poems with like cutouts missing in them and then poems with these cutouts repeated over and over again and like stamped together. It's just like, oh man, it really gets me. Um, so I'm gonna read this poem, Unnecessary Death in Broad Daylight. Alone in my seat at the roller coaster, I seem to be sitting in a church. The dead cannot distinguish. One female monkey with the resigned look of love at another engaged in breastfeeding. 
Even the lion licked the smooth head of the lioness. I must not be consoled. Suppose the person in me is a better mother than the author of the book I wrote. You appear in a world which say it sees no danger in being nude, digging in the earth for black water, finding passage in hard soil because you no longer need to find yourself. A successful suicide, that's the phrase, is when the mother requests of her surviving daughters that they suppress joy over their lunches just before she removes her dead son's slippers from my feet, replacing them with others. Because despite everything, you hadn't lost your hunger, eh? Where I was young, where I was treated like a boy, where I was intelligent, he was alone in containing his violence. Is it not useless to pursue, for its own sake, the urgency of a previous day? I loathe it, the likeness of a brother living in the likeness of a body, with lips and hands and eyes that keep nothing in, nothing out. I would give you my other face to touch. I love them, the likeness of a woman in her arms, the likeness of a child. Once more, I begin to move in the direction of the animals. Oof. Okay, so this next one I'm going to read will be Let's see. There's so many good poems to choose from. Like I normally will uh, take little sticky notes and like uh, section off of poems are my favorites. But with this book, I was just like, I would have to put one on every page because there's just so much good work to mull over in this collection. Then I'm gonna read this one called Family Ties because the first line is just killer. Family ties. Gradually, a girl's innocence itself becomes her major crime. A doe and her two fawns bent low in the sumac along the bank of a highway, the pinched peach of their ears twitching in the heat. Into the disordered evening, my brother cut out only his face from every photograph in the hall carefully slipping each frame back into position. What good does it do? Decades of no faces other than our own chipping faces. What good does it do? This resemblance to nothing we know of the dollhouse. New parents watch their newborn resting in a sunny patch of an empty room. The newborn making sense of its container and from the road, a deer ripened in death, and a tuft of fur or dandelion tumbled along, gently circled, driftwood, shaking loose, gathered, dissolving into the mouths of dual weed nearby. Earth is rife with iron and blood is rich in stardust. Immediately, I spotted one hoof print, then nothing 
as if this was where she dragged herself out of the body. Strips of tire torn from their orbit. Is it right then that we are left to hurdle alone? See that first line is just, oh man, it crushes me. Oh, so much of this just crushes me. And also like makes me want to explore so much more. Okay, I'm going to read this one called Grief Logic. If you swim against the fish, your legs will grow longer. If you swim with the fish, every bowl of water will tremble in your hands. If the fish swim across your path, hang your head in imitation of a child hiding her face. For there is no calm in life, not even underwater. If there is calm, it can be found after death, if something comes after it. If swimming comes after death, you are not alive. If you swim, you aren't swimming. You're unafraid in the ocean. If you are unafraid, beware. If you fear, it is yourself you fear. For there is no one else around. If there is no one else around, read out loud just to hear a voice. If you are underwater, be careful, the reef is under threat. For others keep on living or try to. For those who try to live, there are those who won't. If this doesn't end the world, the world will end after it. If your brother dies, you will see your brother. If your brother is killed, you will see your brother. If your brother killed himself, you will see your brother. If your brother killed your brother, you were the brother. For the brother is a subverter of the sister. If the brother is a subverter of the sister, the sister is a subverter of the brother. If the brother is alive. Each day I want my hair short and the next day the opposite. Each day I want my hair long and the next day the opposite. Each day is the next and its opposite. That which is identical on land is fraternal underwater. That which has happened cannot happen again. If it cannot happen again, it is nothing. When I am nothing, I am going to miss the groceries here. The little breakdown of language that um, if your brother killed himself, you will see your brother. And the way it continues over and over again like that is just such a stark zeroing in on this grief. Um, this grief that like permeates so much of this collection. Let's see. Okay, I'm gonna read a little one and then a long one. 
Okay, so this little one. This one's called Giyotaku. He now resides in between the smallest particles of matter in our bodies, the water we carry in our mouths, the dust we eat. All provinces of Vietnam continue to change form. This world is subject to assembly. In my mind, the dark sea mirrors the stars above and how I polish it and polish it. It is not the body, but the self that is a suffering form. Waves rise and fall, but the sea remains. It does the same task over and over again. Chance, discontinuity, discontinuity, chance. I could have done this. I could be done. So there are a lot of poems with that title throughout um, the collection. I'm not sure what it means, but these are the poems that are um, in the shape of the cutouts that are um, from the photographs. So like, um, I'll post it on my Instagram. I'll show y'all on Instagram. Um, but it's just like so haunting when you look at it, when you like really look at this image of like a person cut out of a life. Um, it's really, it's really like you're looking at a ghost. Okay, so I said I'd do a long one, so I'm going to do a long one. Okay, I might do two long ones. Okay, so I'm going to do an empty house is a debt. There is a house in me. It is empty. I empty it. Negative space. The only native emptiness there is. There is. Two. An alarm goes off. It goes on and on. When the alarm drifts to different parts of the room, I realize that alarm is the sun. Three. And there is no one who does not need, never an empty seat. And the blind one, he does not find a place. There is a God in him, helping him to need himself. Four, a mother sticks a spoon into my chest, which is an empty bowl actually. So the spoon lands quickly and loudly. Heartbreak in the heart, she says. Five, I teach inside my empty house as far as I'm allowed to go. I reach in, outside my empty house as far as I'm allowed to go. Six, or don't love me, what do I care? I'm tired of feeling guilty. I am tired of running up a tab. I want to run outside with the sack of huge penises on my back into the empty houses of ex-lovers, of mothers, birds screaming out my name. A human terrifies. A human is someone who becomes terrified and having become terrified, craves an end to her fear. 
This craving carves a cave. Seven, what is a maze if there is nothing to find in the maze? I find myself angry at nothing. Eight, my lovers bow before me as though before. Medusa, tell them you love them. See what they say or say it to yourself and see what you say. When you love someone more than you've ever known you could, it is a good thing, except for the terrifying realization that one day there comes a parting. Okay. So I'm gonna close out that collection and come to The Only Worlds We Know with Michael Lee. Okay, so this poem is called Along the Spent Horizon. The distance between us and machines is less than we might think. What animates metal is flesh. What stops flesh is metal. You should know where we are going, where we have found ourselves again. The simple and tired metaphor The derricks dip down across every landscape toward the trembling crust of the earth, an arm swinging as if possessed. Yes, of course, the earth is a body. Yes, it is his. Yes, I'm tired of it, too. Of so many things, but in the long history of thieves, no one is spared, least of all you or I. Dear reader, if you'll listen just a little longer, I'd like to steal a few more moments of your time and give you a small story. A group of robbers run, smiling but afraid into the long night. The next morning, the shopkeeper lists what is missing. Shoe polish, a locket without a face, a mirror in which everyone who looks is young again defined suddenly only by what is gone. Let me say it this way instead and just once. My friend is dead. There is no easy way to explain everything that leads up to the end. My grief sleeps, misshapen by rain, beside the entrance to some lightless building. I do not know the doorway without it. I can't even remember what's on the other side. Okay. I have a poem kind of similar to this one. that I wrote after reading this poem by Jack Spicer. So I'm going to read this poem, Leaving. Clean the way a fly is clean or the way a wound is clean and a maggot is clean and cleaning. The city clean as a casket before the body is placed like a pill inside of it. Clean as a pipe washed white by fire. 
When I was a boy, I cursed so much my mother scrubbed my mouth with soap. And now what curses do I have left to clean the dead? When I left, I drove east in a car painted the same color as my luck. Out of Minneapolis, where the road opens like a stone tulip into all other roads. My last sight of home, a man I knew once driving beside me. When I saw him, I saw he did not see, but was a kind of sight. Nothing like the man I once knew, but more like the clothes this man will one day leave behind where he goes. Last I heard, he had already gone, guided by this, by the winding fingers of meth and its nails made of smoke. What can I say now but nothing? What can I say as I head east and all I hear is a dark rattling, trailing me like a wedding cans for the marriage of dirt and rain? What can I say as I pass through Wisconsin's endlessly green and stupid fields and come upon a car cleaved in two? The bodies it carried litter the highway like salt. What a beautiful day to leave home and let your mouth hang open. What can I say as I pass a torn up highway after highway riddled with skeleton crews? In the right light, this thoroughfare looks like a glimmering blown. I mean a dark breeze ridden with flies, heat cooking the meat straight from the ribs of a deer along I-94 like dead lanterns leading me home. Home to what now? To dirt, to glass, to wind hollow as a skull and a summer caught inside of it. Somewhere there is a classroom comprised of all my dead friends, as they once were, pledging allegiance to a Polaroid developing forever. If old age is not defined by the time, but by one's proximity to death, and I grew up with a group of 13-year-olds who were a thousand years each. Let us sit together now at this table of holy oak. Let us eat well and on all we do not have the words to describe. Please pass the gunmetal and salt. Let me preserve this documentation of ruin. Some nights I want to stay this way forever. I want to sing until the grass sews my mouth shut. What is the exact key of an instrument decomposing beneath the dirt? Every road east is a singular thread in America's long taxonomy of pain. There is no word for a journey comprised entirely of leaving. What left was there to do but go on driving east with everything I owned? past an endless field of sunflowers, a 100-mile stretch of yard sales, an 88 cutlass, grandma's jewelry, a hickory cabinet. God, if I could make money off this memory, I might just give you everything. Okay, I'm going to read this poem just yesterday. I'm running out of time on this recording, so this probably be the last one. Just yesterday. Pain isn't worth 
any more than the words we can dig up to describe it. Tell me of the sinew unspun by metal, but make it pretty. Tell me of the collarbone tearing loose from the skin like a branch, but make it soft. Everyone wants us to spill poetically in a way that goes down easy. They want us speak maps by referring to their borders and not by what's inside of them. I dreamt you still named. I dreamt you naked. I dreamt you leaking from time's advances. I dreamt you siphoning out your own life through the needle. I dreamt your spine crumbling like a palace of cards. I dreamt every dead person I know was the same and lived in the same cramped alley of my skull. I'll tell you these stories until the words materialize and I can't stop. Up a wound. I know I might as well try to gather the rain with the sieve, but God damn it, I need to try. I've been walking around believing the dead are the, like windows. This poem and other poems, a handful of rocks. I want to shatter each of your faces, oh family, oh friends, like you might walk out from behind those gaps in your smiles. Sometimes I hold a word to my ear like a conch shell. Sometimes I curse the ocean for what it cannot or will not say. I surround these bodies with sentence after sentence and the words chant like a crowd. The words become music. The words become an orchestra of flies. I almost believe you will wake up all of you together. I almost believe your name will slither its way back into your body and you will kick back into life like a junkyard cutlass. And you will walk out of your own funerals laughing. How absurd. This choir of weeping, these caskets planted in the dirt like seeds. It is so cold in this winter's lexicon, this language of nothing, of once was or never will be again. Sometimes I want to kill my uncle for being a more miserable drunk than I was. Sometimes I want him to die already so I can write about it. Sometimes I want to be a poem. I don't want to be this pain, but the language used to unearth it. Sometimes I curse archaeologists for their basic tools telling us basic things. Sometimes I think scientists are lazy. I too could dig a heart out of a chest, but what do any of them know about pulling the history from a body without killing it? Just yesterday, Scientists discovered a new ligament in the human knee. Just yesterday, I found out I can't sleep for a whole new set of reasons. Just yesterday, I wrote and wrote and wrote and kept writing. I've committed to not killing anyone, especially myself. Just yesterday, I found new ways to say I miss you. My God, how I miss you all. I'll probably read more poems from that collection next week because it's just so good and I want to read more, but I'm running out of time. So um, I'll be taking a little break and then I'll come back with today's topic. I'll be talking about how to know when you have a book on your hands, when you're a poet specifically. Um, how do you know when 
all the poems that you're writing can be pulled together into something cohesive. Um, so yeah, that's what we're talking about today. So see you in a bit. Okay, so how do you write a book? Um, I'll talk to you about my process and how I realized I had a book on my hands. Um, both times that I realized I had a book on my hands. Um, the first time I had this manuscript that I uh, had been working on for a long time and then I decided to pull it from uh, consideration for publication because I wanted to work on it more. Um, but yeah, I just like had been writing a shit ton of poems for a long time. Um, and they all seem to have to do with the same sort of topic or around the same exploration of some sort of central issue with myself or with my life. Um, in particular, the first manuscript um, had to do a lot with my relationship with my adoptive mother. Um, and I wrote about uh, her a lot um, in about um, the effect that she had on me knowing myself and knowing the kind of person that I am um, and stuff like that. Um, I had just been having some very intense therapy sessions around her um, and so would come home from those therapy sessions and write a lot, um, usually about, um, usually from the voice of my younger self uh, trying to parse like who I was as separate from my mother, which was a thing that I was going through a lot in my adult life, but also was a, a big question in my childhood and like my early teens and late teen years of just like trying to figure out who I was outside of her, um, who I was without her guidance or her her influence, I guess I could say. Um, yeah, so I was writing poems a lot about that. And then I was also writing these very intense little poems about spiders and spiders as mothers um, and the mothering practices of spiders as well as their mating practices and their eating practices. Um, yeah, and the book also had to slightly do with um, some eating disorder stuff that I struggled with. So I was exploring that as well in the in the text. Um, yeah, and then one day I was doing a reading and I had compiled all these poems that I wanted to read for this reading. Um, and I thought, huh, I could like put this together into a little chapbook or something or like a little zine. Um, and then I started like looking at all the poems that I had typed up um, around this subject and was like, oh, okay, this is like something. Um, and the same thing sort of happened again recently um, within the past year or so, um, where I was, I'd been writing a lot about um, my own personal issues with like sobriety and addiction. Um, and also about my biological mother and my relationship to her. Um, and how those things are tied and connected. I don't want to say too much because I'm like confident that this, this will make it to publication. So like you'll just have to read and find out more when it comes out. Um, yeah. And so I was just like, okay, I think that these poems all have 
a central voice, a, a voice that's saying something important to the bone, to to the to the work. Um, and I just have to figure out what's missing. Um, and that question of what's missing is a big one when you're putting together a manuscript of like, um, I have all these poems. Where do I need to fill in? Where do I need to add or where do I need to subtract? Um, the first step toward doing that is to read your work out loud a lot. Um, if you can, if you have the means, record yourself reading your work out loud and listen to it back. Um, something that I did recently um, was read the whole entire thing, uh, page to page, to myself. Um, and there are moments in there, like a lot of moments where I was surprised by the things that I had said or the things that I had written because I had forgotten that I had written them. Um, and had been like touched or moved or like challenged by those things. Um, that was like really, um, really important for me in this process. I don't think you can really get to know your poems if you're not reading them out loud. There's something to be said for cadence and rhythm and the like structural, um, the way syntax is translated into speech. Um, it just like, sometimes it doesn't translate as well on the page, but when you read it out loud, it's, it, it comes to life in a new way. Um, so I always recommend reading your word out loud to yourself and recording it and then playing it back. Um, it's also a fucking awesome way to revise. Um, I revise a lot by doing that. Um, I will read my poem out loud to myself. And as I'm reading, sometimes I will make changes just on the spot. Um, that often happens to me quite a bit of just like, now I'm getting all burpy because I'm drinking a Zevia. I don't know if y'all know about Zevia, but it's like this fake soda alternative. Um, did I say soda? I mean pop. I don't say soda. Um, yeah, so it's like pop, but it's made with stevia. Um, so it's like sugar-free and zero calorie. And the only one that I really fuck with is the cream soda one. Um, it's just so good. Um, I would really love to do like a float with it, but I ate all my ice cream, so I'm shit out of luck. Um, but yeah, back to what I was saying anyway, um, which was what? I... Um, I was talking about reading your work out loud and revising, revising by doing that. Um, so what I'll do is I'll read my work out loud to myself and often change words, change phrasing, um, change the order of the stanzas and things like that um, while I'm reading out loud um, and then like test it and see how it sounds. Um, that often is like very helpful word when you're like, writing, um, describing something and you're using two words. Um, so like, just to throw something stupid out there, like beautiful and dangerous. Um, beautiful and dangerous to me sounds better than dangerous and beautiful. Like 
in math, you know, A plus B equals C and B plus A equals C, but in poetry, it's not necessarily that way. Um, it's just like the rhythm and the cadence of it doesn't translate as well if you put one word in front of the other. And it's poetry is about finding that balance and like striking that tone um, and hitting it really well. And knowing that there, there are these little nuances of like language where, um, like I said, that A plus B doesn't always equal C. Um, what is that called? Uh, that property? Man, I used to be a math fucking wizard, but I can't remember. Uh, it was like the trans transmutive property or something like that. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't remember fucking pre-algebra anymore. Um, yeah, so reading out loud is the big first step, I think, uh, to figuring out whether you have something on your hands. Uh, the second thing is to have someone else read your work for you. Um, I often send my work to my mentor or to other poets that I am uh, close with and that I trust. Sorry, I'm so thirsty right now. I did not drink enough water today. I'm really bad at that, especially when I have to work during the day. Um, yeah, so I just like, um, will send my poems to other people and see what their feedback is. Um, especially send poems to people that are going to give you feedback, um, which you have to be in a place to ask for it. So you can send somebody a poem and they'll be like, beautiful, that was wonderful. I I sighed at the end or whatever. Um, but if you want someone to come in with like a constructive eye, you have to ask for that. Uh, so knowing what you want when you send people your poems is a big thing. If you want somebody to just tell you um, I used to have a professor that I really respected who was like very uh, upfront about like, this poem is good, this one needs to get tossed. And I respected that so much because like, as poets, I think we can tend to be very precious about our work and um, not want to uh, give things away or um, get rid of things that aren't serving us. Uh, for example, I, I'm i having somebody look at my manuscript right now. Uh, so shout out to Brittany. Um, and there's this line in one of my poems that I was holding on to and building, I built a stanza around it that didn't really fit into the context of the poem and added like, the stanza added more questions to the poem than answers. Um, but I had it in there because I wanted this line in there so badly. Um, and I just finally came to the realization that like this line is a good line, but it doesn't belong in this poem. Um, I could stick it somewhere else. Um, and I have uh, like a Google doc where I have little bits of, and pieces of poems that I um, keep there uh, that are, um, things that I'm saving for other poems, basically. So if it doesn't fit in one poem, then I'm gonna put it in another one or put it into a long form piece, like some prose work or something like that. Um, yeah, so 
sending your work to other people and being very specific about what you want from them. Um, it really can't be overstated how much having somebody else read your work helps, um, especially with a critical eye. Um, at least for me, I am very like interested in people giving me feedback and letting and asking questions. Asking questions is, oh my God, uh, that's my my bread and butter. I just want people to ask me questions about um, what I'm writing a lot. Sometimes what I did with the the last manuscript was I recorded myself talking about it and just about like the the subjects and the context and everything. Um, and I like basically just asked myself questions about why this poem after this poem, why this word here, why this title, why that, you know, just going on and on with like these questions that I feel a reader would ask and trying to answer those questions um, by writing another poem or writing um, or editing a poem, revising a poem and making sure there are answers in there. But um, sometimes there aren't easy answers in poetry. And I want to stress that, that like, sometimes you will ask a question and not put an answer in because you want it to be um, sort of open. Uh, and for the, the question to have more weight than the actual answer. An example that I could think of is, and I talk about this poem all the fucking time, but um, Jasper, Texas, 1998, um, where the the speaker says, why and why and why should I call a white man brother? Who is the human in this place? The thing that is dragged or the dragger? There's no answer to that question in the, in the context of the poem. Um, and I had this great discussion at a workshop that I led um, where we talked about that poem and we talked about how not having the answer in the poem gave it more gravity and more um, more of a like a punch, more of a weight to have that just in there and leave it there without um, without wanting to like tie it up with a bow and say, and this is the summation, you know. Um, sometimes your poetry needs that sort of ambiguity in it. But if you can answer a question that you know is going to be confusing to somebody, to a reader, I find that it's best to like give some sort of answer. Um, yeah, I always think about, I know it's a topic of debate in the poetry community, but I always think about the reader, um, what my imaginary reader would think or say. You know, I write poems with the express um, uh, motivation to like say something worthwhile and say something important. Whether it's um, important for me to get it out so that it can be out, out of me um, and onto a page so I don't have to hold it by myself anymore. Or whether it's like an interrogation of some system, some process, I um, always want to try and, um, I lost my train of thought, oh my God. 
Yeah, I always want to think of the reader in that context um, and see like where they come in, where the reader is important in the text. Um, I love it when a poem addresses the reader directly and says like, dear reader in it. I think there was that in one of those um, Michael Lee poems that I read. Um, I just love that. It's so endearing. Um, it's just so personal and really pulling the reader into the work. Um, and I really appreciate that when I see it in poems. Um, the next step to figuring out if you have a book on your hands is to start putting it together. Um, the best way to put a book, book together is to print out um, everything you got. Um, and if you can, tape it up on a wall, put it on a table, um, on the floor. Right now, my manuscript is like 81 pages, including, that's a lot of pages. Damn, I did good. Um, it's 81 pages, including like the table of contents and stuff like that. Um, and also like, it doesn't include my notes pages yet, but I have to add one of those because there are a lot of like um, allusions and references to other works. Not a lot, but like an, enough of an amount that I want to like be like, I read this poem and it made me think of this. So I wrote this poem um, that's in this book here. Um, yeah, so like Putting it out and having physical copies of the poems is also, for me, a great way to edit them and revise them. Um, I just like, I can't do revision on on the on the laptop. I just can't do it. I want a paper trail. Um, the way that I revise is by um, having my little notebook, um, and I write the first draft of the poem in purple uh, because it's my favorite color. The second draft is usually in pink or red, depending on um, whether or not I can find my pink or red pen. Um, and then the third draft is usually in blue, or the final draft is usually in blue. Um, but I will go back and forth with like, I always try and do a different color for a different draft. Um, and I always keep the different iterations of the poem. I don't want to ever like get rid of um, a poem because I, um, I have this fear that someone will accuse me of plagiarism and then I'll be like, well, actually I have this paper trail here where like I wrote this poem on July 15th, 2018 um, and have edits of it for the next two years, you know? Um, yeah, I just like, I'm very conscious of like plagiarism and being accused of it and like not wanting to uh, steal other people's ideas and work. So I like love having my own work printed out um, or in the physical copy in a notebook um, and having that revision trail is just like so important to me. Um, but yeah, having it, it printed out and sitting with it and like really reading the poem to figuring out, well, if this poem ends this way, what is the natural picking up point for the next poem? Um, or you can 
ask yourself, what is the unnatural picking up point? So like, what if you want to do like a big volta from poem to poem instead of volta within the poem? Um, for those that don't know, volta is just like a turn of tone and atmosphere in a poem. Um, yeah, so what if you want to do that um, and just make this like leap to something completely different? That can be a, a reading experience that is equally as valuable as one that is like very linear. Because um, like I said earlier, poetry isn't always linear. It's not efficient, as Ellen would say. Um, yeah, I just... Um, if you have a wall that you could put it on, I would highly recommend that. Um, just cause it's easier to see and like touch and move around. So if you can like tape it up on your wall and move the pages around um, sort of separately um, and together if you need to, that's always just like such a fun exercise. And then you can do what I did, which was talk through the order of each poem. So like this poem is first. Why is it first? Why is the natural next point this poem? Why is the next natural point this poem? And go on and on like that until you reach the end of the book. And then you can talk about the book as a whole to yourself. Um, yeah. I... Um, See, what is another thing that is important when trying to figure out if you have a book? Um, reading. Read a lot of fucking books. Like, um, I have a soft spot in my heart for like a, a short little poetry collection. So like the under 100 page collection, which is most of what I've been reading so far. Um, it's just like, so so succinct and so compact um, and so moving in ways that I feel like long collections can sort of mosey on a little bit and have more, fewer of those poems that like punch you in your gut, you know, um, as they go along. Unless it's like a sort of like collected poems of ex-poet from the years 1950 to 2015 or something like that. Those are an exception. Um, Cause the collection of uh, poems that were previously published in books or like in magazines and stuff like that. Um, so that's an exception, but yeah, um, read a lot of books. My God, I can't stress how important reading is. Um, Read to see how other people have done it. And also listen to how other people have done it. If you can listen to interviews with poets that you really admire, I would suggest doing that. Um, listen to them talk about their process. Listen to them talk about their books, um, how they came up with the title, how they came up with this idea to put the book together, um, what challenges they faced, um, how they decided to use second person instead of first, stuff like that is like the nitty gritty and what goes into making a book. Um, so yeah, that's something that I would do as well. Um, and last thing I'd say is probably like, don't be afraid of revision. Um, don't be afraid of 
getting rid of things that um, you don't feel like fit into the narrative. They can always be saved for something else. Um, there's what I've heard described as like a first book problem is that everything you write sort of becomes for the book um, and you can't really parse or like discriminate against what is like for the book and what is not because um, everything is about getting this first book out into the world, um, which is where I'm at right now of like, I finally stopped writing poems for the new book um, or like I wasn't exactly writing new poems when I was revising um, old poems a lot. So like I write every day and most of the writing that I was doing was revision for the past, God, like three, three months. Um, so I've just been um, really excited to work on work that isn't for the book. Um, so the way that you can tell when something is or isn't for the book is whether or not it fits into the the story, the context of the book. Um, also, if you're just like, um, one thing that I learned in the Ellen Bass uh, craft talk was to let your poems wander. Um, so you may start out writing some of this for the book and come out with something completely different that is um, not related to the book at all. Um, and you just have to let that happen. The poem is, the poem is its own separate living, breathing thing. And you aren't the governor of the poem, you're in service to the poem. So you have to let the poem do what it wants and not what you want it to do. Um, so yeah, listen to the poem and don't let your will and your desire put something into the book that doesn't belong there. Um, yeah. There's something else that I want to say. Oh, yeah. Um, if you can take time off from your, if you have like a nine to five regular job or like whatever hour regular job, um, if you can take some paid time off and work on your book. Like what I did was I took a week off and just wrote for that entire week. Um, and that was like incredible. I'm going to do it again in October since my vacation plans have been squabbled. So is squabbled a word? I don't know. I just probably made it up. Um, yeah, so I'm taking some time off in October again to write uh, the book. Um, not write it, but to like um, get it together before I send it out, um, probably in like November and December um, as um, things are opening up for submissions now from like September to November. Um, yeah, I have so little time to get this ready, um, but I'm excited. I feel like um, this is a collection of poems that I'm so proud of um, and that I worked so hard on and I'm ready for it to be like something. Um, and I don't wanna like put pressure on myself to have it out in 2021 or like whatever, I just want it I just want it to be out of me and like done. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So if you can take time off, work on the work. Um, if you can't do that, didn't have a day, probably a weekend day that you just save for writing. Um, for me, it's Saturdays. Um, 
yeah, so just like have a day where you reserve just writing or have certain hours of the day that you reserve just for writing um, and reading as well. Um, yeah, just think about that and do that sort of thing. Um, so you can have this very central focus on the book and what it means to you. Um, if you can write a little thing about um, your book and why you titled it, what you titled, like I have my title. Um, it just came to me one night when I was dreaming. Um, and then I had to write poems to make it make sense. Um, and not like forcing it to make sense, but like writing poems to reveal to me what I was thinking about when I came up with this title. Um, I let the poems guide me to the to an understanding instead of like forcing understanding into the poems. Um, yeah, that's really important too. Um, yeah, just let the poems be because you can't make them be anything that they're not. Um, yeah, I'm going to take a break and then I'm gonna come back with the untoppable bop for the week. Okay, and I'm back with untoppable bops for the week. So I promised you two, so I'm gonna give you two. Um, the first one is by Ali X and Mitski. It's called Susie Save Your Love. And it is a fucking bop. Oh my God, this song goes off. Um, I was watching Canada's Drag Race last night and Ali X was um, a guest judge um, and she fucking killed it. I thought she was so cute um, and so nice with the girls, um, which is rare on that show. Um, guest judges are usually nice, but like um, often the critiques can be a little bit harsh, at least in my opinion. That's just what I think. Um, so it's nice to have her to see her like uh, give like positive commentary to even the queens that like didn't do as well. Um, but yeah, this song, oh my goodness. I first heard it and was like, I can't believe this song. Like it makes me feel so good. It's like so vibrant and fun um, and so gay. Um, I was like, is Mitski gay? Is Ali X gay? Do I need to like, do a deep dive on Instagram and find out, you know? Yeah, it's just like such a good song. Um, and then the second one I would say is uh, Sula by Jamila Woods. Um, this song is just like, it makes me so emotional. Um, it's inspired by the novel of the name by Toni Morrison. Um, and there's just this part where she sings over and over again, I'm better, I'm better, I'm better. Um, and it just like feels like therapy. Like, yeah, I am better. I, it's just like such an empowering song for women, um, for anybody that's like read the, the, the novel, Sula, you, um, I recommend that you read it and then listen to the song. Um, so that you like understand a lot of the illusions and um, things like that. Uh, it's just such a good fucking song. Oh my God. This week I've been listening to a ton of Patti LaBelle, if I'm being honest. Like I watched a performance of her performing uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow 
Um, and I was just like, Patty is a goddess. She is a goddess walking among us, mere humans. Like the way that she performs and the way that she captures a crowd the, the way that she does, um, it's just like otherworldly. I've never seen black people like stand on their feet and like holler and cheer the way that they do when they watch Patty go off. It's just like such a wonderful thing to witness. Um, so yeah, I've been listening to a lot of her uh, this week um, and also a lot of Remy Wolf. Well, today I listened to a lot of Remy Wolf. Um, who else have I been listening to a ton lately? Patty LaBelle been tuning into some Bat for Lashes recently. Um, Daniel is a bop. Um, what else? Um, Laura is a bop. Well, Laura isn't really a bop. It's like a very sad song. But the song that I listen to the most from that, um, from Bat for Lashes, is probably Good Love, which is also a very sad song um, that makes me like cry. Um, but it's just so, so good. Um, but those are just some like things that I've been listening to this week as well, as well as the podcast that I mentioned before. Um, yeah, music is such a huge part of my life. Um, I just don't know what I would do without my hours spent listening to music at work and to music, um, during the day when I'm like, um, trying to unwind from a long day. It's just so wonderful. Um, yeah, so those are the, those are the Untoggable Bobs of the Week. Um, that's the episode. Thank you so much for listening. Um, it's appreciated as always. I will talk to y'all again next week. Peace. Thank you from the bottom of my cold little heart for listening to this episode and for all the episodes before. It's so greatly appreciated. If you like what I do, you can follow me on Instagram at bellbivdaho. That's bell.biv.daho, D-A-H-O-E. You can follow me on Twitter at figwidow. You can read the stuff that I write at autostraddle at autostraddle.com and just search Danny Janae. You can find me on Facebook, if you're still on there, at Danny Janae Poet. Um, yeah, you can follow me on all those things and keep your eyes peeled about things that I'll be talking about in the future. But until then, my dear friends, save spiders and eat fruits. <laughs> <laughs>